0: Welcome to the Do Good Radio Hour with Bluegrass Community Foundation. Here at Bluegrass Community Foundation, we believe doing good inspires good. It's the gift that keeps on giving. The intention behind the show is to encourage you by sharing the undeniable good happening within our community. One of the ways we plan to do this is by sharing the stories of nonprofit organizations across the region who are creating more generous, vibrant, and engaged communities. Tune into the Do Good Radio Hour every Monday at 2 p.m. to hear about the good that is the heartbeat of our community and how you can get more involved. On January 8, 2020, BGCF 365 awarded five grants totaling $25,000 to nonprofits working on green spaces and public places in Fayette County. North Limestone Community Development Corporation, or No Lie CDC, was awarded $10,000 to support the expansion of the Night Market, a monthly pop-up street art and craft fair. Since then, so many exciting things have happened for this wonderful nonprofit, and let's hear about it from Chris Non, the Executive Director. So hey, Chris, welcome.
1: Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, sure. So tell us more about yourself and how this year is going for you so far. And I have got a lot going on.
1: <laughs> I do. Uh, we do. Um, well, it's been a big year for, for our organization, for NOLI CDC. Uh, we opened Julietta Market uh, just after Thanksgiving last year. So we've been open for about four and a half months. And that has really been, um, you know, we're really grateful to be able to bring that forward. It's been the project we've been talking about since 2015 formally and even longer informally with our neighbors. Um, Trying to understand what, you know, both what they want to see for that space on the corner of North Limestone and Loudoun, but also um, what kind of uses and functions they really most needed to benefit their lives and improve um, the way that they can live their lives. So, you know, we've been, uh, myself and my colleagues uh, have been really focused on that. Unfortunately, with COVID, you know, there's been a lot of changes to the way that we do things. and so we haven't been able to have any night markets uh, all of 2020 and you know right now for 2021 the city ha- doesn't have any plans formal plans to start giving out event permits so we're sort of in a holding pattern with that but um, we've been really focusing our energies on Julieta market and, and really trying to continue to refine that and build out the different pieces of it
0: yeah tell us more about julietta market i want to know it's such a wonderful opportunity and cool thing that we have here in Lexington. I've, I've been, and I think it's great. So tell us more about that and what what's there and what people can see there.
1: Well, thank you. Um, it is, it's basically a more permanent version of the night market. So it is a space that entrepreneurs can take advantage of uh, at a low cost uh, rate. They can move into a small kiosk space. So basically we have right now 72 kiosks some of which are double and even triple spaces. So we have right now 44 vendors. Um, We have really made a point of centering the the entrepreneurial efforts of marginalized groups, especially within our neighborhood. So women-owned businesses, person of color-owned businesses, um, businesses owned by disabled persons, veterans, previously incarcerated persons, low-income people, and so we're really trying to give preference to those groups as a way of trying to make Juliet a market as equitable as possible. We recognize that historically, those groups have not had nearly the same opportunity to flourish and succeed, especially in, in sort of capitalist pursuits uh, as, as white males have had, quite frankly. And so we're trying to make this just a small example of how people can be working to address those historical Issues and try to create programs that actively work to balance the scales
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that respect. So we have those kiosks, and we have so for persons who are, meet three or more of those criteria that I listed, they qualify for a reduced rate in the kiosks. They also qualify for weekly one on one support from our small business mentorship uh, staff member. We also have a number of partnerships with. The Small Business Development Center with the Kentucky Career Center to give those small business owners support uh, additional support and expanded opportunities. They also, we also have partnerships with private entities who want to help move forward individuals efforts. So we have private donors who are sponsoring some kiosks. We have businesses that are lending technical support to some of those folks. So um, we have a, an intern from UK who's helping some, some of our members expand their digital presence. So we're really trying to understand everybody's needs as they grow their business and connect them with the appropriate skills and resources to to overcome those obstacles. Um, so that's all the kiosks. And then we're we just completed construction on food stalls. So there will be seven prepared food stalls. And our vendors are fitting up their spaces right now. And those should be open in the next month or so. And that'll be a wide range of of food offerings, um, lots of diversity with with respect to the food that will be available there. Um, and then later this year we'll be opening a shared kitchen that is sponsored by the USDA, by the Healthy Food Healthy Food Financing Initiative, and uh, a, a number of private donors that we're very grateful for, um, their support of. And that will really comprise the whole market. We have a, a pop-up space in the North End where we have uh, pop-up vendors. We have a farmer's market that we operate in partnership with Black Soil, with Ashley Smith and her team. So we've got a, real, a lot of really exciting things that are happening within the market. And we're really grateful to be able to kind of be, be a partner to help facilitate all of that.
0: Yeah, so obviously, Julietta Market is just one component of No Lie CDC. So before we get going into the conversation, what is No life CDC and its mission?
1: Sure. Um, so we were founded back in 2013. Um, it was clear at that point that the North Limestone neighborhood was a space where significant development was going to be occurring. And so our organization was founded to try to facilitate that. Initially, it was really trying to accelerate it and try to make it more arts-based and arts-focused. Uh, we started to realize a couple years into our work that a greater need within the neighborhood was not necessarily trying to encourage artists to come in, but to try to facilitate uh, an equitable process of that that transition or that change, that improvement, um, so that we could try to avert or Change the narrative around gentrification. Um, the North Limestone neighborhood is probably the the most sort of uh, recognizable neighborhood in Lexington where ge- people think of gentrification happening. And we realize that it's not so much that change doesn't need to happen. That you know the the potholes and the side crumbling sidewalks and the you know inferior stormwater infrastructure and condemned houses all that does need to be improved because everybody no matter how much money you make or where you're from deserves a basic standard of of quality of life but as those things change who benefits from those changes was what we saw needing to be addressed so really trying to listen to our neighbors especially those groups i listed earlier the marginalized groups that historically have not been heard or heard as loudly in the decision making process and really try to use our time and our capacity to bring forward projects that recognize those folks perspectives and identify and address the needs and wants that they have so it's taken many forms we've built affordable housing on york street we have done public space improvements in castlewood park and duncan park we have worked closely with partners working in food access so we work we work a lot with Seedleaf. they operate the community garden that we own at 905 north limestone called north pole community garden try to represent the neighborhood on a lot of different committees at the city level so the infill and redevelopment committee the neighborhoods and transition task force the sustainable growth task force uh, just to name a couple and make sure that it, you know we're making the conversation around the decisions made in these co- committees as diverse and informed as possible so when I start rattling it off like that, it kind of makes people's heads spin. Yeah. But it's really all been in the interest of trying to make the neighborhood more welcoming and accepting of everybody and more representative of everybody who lives there. And a lot of the work that we've done has been in direct response to work that's been done either in the neighborhood or elsewhere that has not done that. And I'm not going to call anything out specifically, but um, there have definitely been cases where work similar to ours has been done. And it's had a very sort of displacing effect on certain groups of people, mm-hmm. and and so I think trying to trying to use our work as a way of providing an antidote or a counterexample to some of those experiences, so that folks understand that every time a mural goes up, it's not bad, or every time a new house is built or is fixed up, it's not not doesn't mean that their neighbors are getting displaced and their taxes are going up, and you know people that they don't know are moving in. Like, those are the kind of experiences that I think really traumatize a community as change is happening. Yeah. And trying to get our neighbors involved and invested as much as possible so that they take ownership of the change that's happening. Um, And we certainly haven't been perfect at it by any means. But, you know, what we're trying to do is something that is basically we're trying to bend the arc of the sort of natural progression that has led us to the point we're at. And we recognize that it's going to be hard and it's going to be uh, incremental. So that's, that's kind of what we've been, been up to. And I, I omitted the night market because uh, I think that's some of what we're going to talk about in a bit, but the night market was really a perfect example of that where, you know, when we started in 2013, we just wanted to create this kind of street party, kind of a pop-up art fair you know, get people out on a Friday night. Um, you know, when you get people out on the street, it has the net effect of making the space feel safer because you have more eyes around. <clears throat> and a couple of years in, we started to realize that a lot of our neighbors weren't attending the night market, and it was a very sort of homogeneous representation at the night market. There was not a lot of diversity, both in our vendors and in the attendees. And so we really made a conscious effort at that point to pivot and change our mission to be more to be focused on equity. And to make the night market specifically a space that was had its mission to create a very diverse, very equitable um, space for for everyone to access.
0: Yeah, it's awesome to be speaking with you. You know, just to see what is happening right now with NoLa CDC and all the amazing work you're doing, and thinking back to the beginning of 2020. You know when you received this three sixty five grant and how far you've come and how you've persevered through such an intense year that we've all had. So, this ten thousand dollar grant from three sixty five was focused on green spaces in public places, and it's such a great opportunity for growth. So, I'm just curious, how did you hear about three sixty five and know to apply for this grant?
1: So, I I know a number of people that that support and are members of, of BGCF three sixty five and You know, I I follow um, the emails that come out from from BGCF and saw about this grant. Um, And, you know, we do a lot of work in in green space, public space realm, and, you know, just really read up on what it was intended to do. And it was right, very perfectly aligned with what we were hoping to do, which, which was expand the infrastructure of the night market. So for those of you that haven't attended, or if you have, Um, The night market is held on one little one-way street, one block, uh, 700 block of Bryan Avenue, and we're incredibly limited for space. And throughout the entire time of the night market, we've struggled with how to get electricity to all of our vendors and how to, you know, basically how to help them function as efficiently as possible. Um, And so this grant, you know, came up at the same time we were thinking about, well, we need more space. We want it to expand. We're going to need electricity. We're going to need light. And so we have a space that we lease uh, just south of the railroad tracks adjacent to the 700 block of Bryan Avenue and applied to install electrical distribution system there. The process of applying was, you know, it was a very simple application. And then what I was really pleased about, which I've never had in any other grant, was we actually presented to the members of BGCF365 in an event where the five finalists all presented their idea. And it became almost like a Shark Tank kind of kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated hearing everybody else's presentations and their visions. I think it was a great way to sort of personalize and humanize the grant applications instead of it just being you know we want to do this but really showing them that even though something like electrical electrical distribution putting wires underground and putting up panels and outlets is not very sexy the net effect of that investment is really beneficial and they could understand through the presentation how how much of a barrier that was to us being able to grow and continue doing what we're doing in an expanded way
0: Yeah. So 365 saw the positive impact that NOLI CDC has on our community and chose to recognize that. So that must mean a lot to you and your organization. So describe what that feeling was like.
1: Oh, um, I hate competitions. I really, (laughs) you know, it's, it's either you feel crestfallen or you feel guilty that, you know, other people feel disappointed as you're sitting right next to, I was sitting next to four colleagues who I respect and love, and they're all doing great work and you know, it it just, it was a, it was a really wonderful feeling for me. Um, I haven't won a lot of things in my life. And so that was, that was really very validating to know that, you know, based on all the wonderful presentations that the folks sitting in the audience decided that we were, you know, they decided that they were going to give us the, the top prize. So I was very honored and grateful for that. And I think I was grateful to be able to tell the story that I've told to you Um, in terms of how we've been able to not only pursue an idea, but also continue to revise and improve it as we go and not just say, well, that didn't work and scrap it, you know, to continue to really refine uh, in an organic way and have people know that that's, you know, if we had some, you know, failures or came up short in the past, that that wasn't a limitation of the idea it was just, know, where we were in the process. So I felt like that was very validating and was very appreciative that they were, you know, able to, able to see that.
0: Yeah. That event, you know, that you were describing is such a fun event and hopefully we'll be able to have that again in the future. And I love that you called it like Shark Tank. I think that could really lead us to some good marketing material with that. (laughs) Yeah. 365 really aims to invest in meaningful organizations and initiatives that are making a difference and spark awareness about the good that's happening. So, through 365 and all of its members who helped grant this $10,000, more people became aware of the work you're doing. So, I love this question why should people know about NOLICDC? Why is it important?
1: Fundamentally, it's important to know that you can pull together a group of people in your community really have an impact on your community, not specifically North limestone, not specifically in Lexington, but understand that there is a mechanism and a process to where a small group of people can really pursue something to try and change the course of a neighborhood. And, um, I think that, you know, the idea that a CDC is, and I've said this to, you know, civic leaders and, um, other folks, you know, there are lots of other parts of Lexington that need CDCs. Not like our not exactly like ours, but you know, to to at least have the platform there's a group that can really be an advocate for the issues in those neighborhoods and be the sort of cheerleader and be the the fundraiser for solutions to those issues. And it's going to look different in every place, but for me the most encouraging thing is that we have done, I feel like we have been able to demonstrate to Lexington that that place-based focus is, is something that's possible and is something that is, can be beneficial instead of just saying, well, the city needs to fix this or, you know, property owners need to fix this, you know, us being sort of a liaison and a go-between. I always say that, you know, if we're if we're not getting criticized by activists and developers, then we're not doing our job because we need to be in the middle between those two poles in order to really be, you know, hearing everybody and acting toward that. So that's, that's what I'm excited about in terms of the visibility is not the, for us as an organization personally, but for the concept that a CDC is another sort of benefiting platform that can help at a neighborhood level in, in neighborhoods that are going to face this sort of change or are facing this sort of change and could turn those that displacement into something very positive.
0: Yeah. So last question, we're going to end on a strong note here. Why should people listening care? Why should they care about their community? Why should they look into joining a group like 365? Why should people look into civic engagement? Why is that important?
1: Well, I think it's important because it's I think the assumption is that oh, I don't have enough money to make an impact in my community and to be a member of 365 isn't a huge financial commitment and looking out at the group of folks that i presented to it wasn't people very much different from myself and i knew a lot of them and i felt like they were committed to really pooling their funds to make a difference as opposed to saying well i'm not a millionaire so i can't donate money or my dollars aren't meaningful I think that this platform has really proven that it is meaningful and that when you group enough people together, that collective interest can really have a significant impact. And I think it's very akin to the work that we're doing where, you know, what can one person or three or four people do? I think that when you start aggregating together skills and and expertise and backgrounds, you can do a lot. And I think that that's, that's why people should care. Um, not only about BGCF365, but also in sort of the power of people as a collective. And I think that that's, that's really what this program taps into.
0: Yeah. You literally just described the mission of 365. That was great. So awesome. Shout out where people can find out more about everything you've talked about today, Julieta Market, and CDC. Sure.
1: So you can go to NOLICDC.org to learn about all of our programs. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, at N-O-L-I-C-D-C. Julieta Market is at Julieta Market, J-U-L-I-E-T-T-A, M-A-R-K-E-T, both on Instagram and Facebook. Um, You can come by Julieta Market, which is located at 101 West Loudoun Avenue in Lexington. Um, That's that's probably the, you can give us a call, 859-379-2049, if you're interested in learning more about how to become a vendor, you can talk to my colleague, Adina Tatum. Uh, We'd love to come see you at Julietta and and once night market starts up again, we'd love to see you there too.
0: Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you for speaking with us today and I encourage everyone listening to go check out everything he just mentioned. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much. In
0: 2018 BGCF 365 awarded five grants totaling $25,000 to nonprofits focused on education in Fayette County. One Parent Scholar House received $10,000 to continue its education efforts, and we are going to check in with them today and see how that grant helped them and aided in spurring them on to where they are now. So we have Carrie Thayer here, the Director of Development, and she's here to speak with us. So tell us more about you and what you do.
2: Yes, I'm the Director of Development for the Hope Center
0: and One Parent Scholar House,
2: and um, they're kind of sister organizations. So um, we do development work for both.
0: Nice. So to our listeners who might not know, what is One Parent Scholar House and what is its mission?
2: So One Parent Scholar House is just an amazing program that kind of that empowers single parents. Um, we have 80 apartments, so we are helping 80 families at all times. And it empowers single parents to um, receive their higher education, whether that might be a four-year degree or a two-year degree or a professional certification. So, um, what one parent does for each parent, and this can be, um, this is for men and women. They help them with a the place to live and on-site child care. So these are parents of smaller school-age children, um, usually. So we have the on-site child care center, and then they have an apartment in which to live, and then um, they also have support services. So our staff is there. Um, to help them with whatever they might need. So they need help with food or furniture or transportation or their child is having some issues and um, our staff can plug them into different resources. So all the support services that they need are there, um, housing, and um, one of the things that you hear about a lot when you talk to one parent resident is that they have this community because a lot, Um, A lot of our residents are coming from either domestic, maybe a domestic abuse situation or just an unexpected pregnancy situation. So, um, and they may feel very isolated, um, but what one parent does is that it's bringing together 80 others who are trying to better themselves and um, and provide um, for their children. And so it kind of brings them all together and um, they become a very supportive, community I mean, lifelong friends are, you know, blossom from there. So it's really neat to hear from those who've been through it.
0: Just from hearing you talk, I'm sure you have many answers to this next question, but what has been maybe one rewarding experience you've had working for One Parent Scholar House?
2: I love walking. There's a couple of them. I love walking through the childcare, seeing the kids uh, there, because when I do that, I really think about where they might be if not for one parent scholar house, you know, um, when they're there, they're getting healthy food and they are um, receiving regular care. You think about um, where they may have lived or the care they may have been given if that was not a service was not available. So I, every time I walk through, I think about that, and that it's just getting these kids kindergarten ready. I mean, that's so important now is to get kids ready to start school, because if they start at a disadvantage, then they're always going to be falling behind. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part of what One Parent does. And then the other thing that I love to hear um, every year at our fundraiser that we do for One Parent is I love to hear the, um, those who have been through the program and who are doing great things um, tell their story that to me is really powerful. I mean, I remember one, she literally um, escaped in the middle of the night in a car with her small child from a domestic, you know, a very severe domestic abuse situation. And she basically got out in the middle of the night and and if not for one parent, um, you know, being here and keeping her safe and giving her a place to live. Well, she's college educated now and she actually works at one of the colleges here in Lexington now. So. Just hearing those stories, because when you think about where her life could have, I mean, she could have ended up dead. And then, you know, what would have happened to her small child? If you think about what could have happened and what um, did because of one parent, it's just, it's really um, a powerful thing.
0: Wow. So where, where is one parent housed?
2: Um, One parent Scholar House has a campus right off of Sales and Horseman's Lane. So it's kind of across from the Red Mile, the barn area and Horseman's Lane. And if you drive um, down one of the side streets, there are um, 80 apartments in several different buildings. And then there's also the childcare center.
0: So the campus is right
2: there altogether.
0: So if you can recall all the way back to 2018, which seems like ages ago after the year we've just had, but when VGCF 365 chose One Parent Scholar House to receive a $10,000 grant. So tell us more about that and what that meant to the organization.
2: Right. Like, like we mentioned earlier, um, how important kindergarten preparedness is in, in getting um, these children who are coming from a disadvantaged situation and really um, giving them the best that we possibly can um, to get them ready. So that's what um, the Bluegrass Community Foundation, this grant for One Parent Scholar House was such a blessing because anyone who runs a school or a child development center knows that, you know, um, purchasing those classroom educational materials and um, you know playground equipment, everything that has come with it, it's so expensive. So um, that's what this grant um, helped with. It helped with providing each classroom, you know, with some educational different um, materials and some different uh, games that the teachers could play that were all educational. So, and then they also helped with the playground. So the playground at one parent is divided by um, age, age groups. Keeping that equipment—we all know how expensive playground equipment is—and keeping that equipment safe and um, age-appropriate, because um, you know the rules are always changing on um, playground equipment. I safety for kids. So, so this um, grant from Bluegrass Community Foundation also helped with that. And um, you know, outdoor play is so healthy and good for the you know for the children too, and part of getting them ready, socializing um, for kindergarten as well. So that's how this grant, um, helped. It was directly for the kids and, um, and getting them ready, just, you know, more quality things, um, to help get them ready for kindergarten.
0: Yeah. Now, so three years later, I guess, how have you seen that recognition from, you know, three years ago, propel you into where you are now and make a difference?
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, my favorite thing is walking through that child development center. So, um, just seeing the kids, I've seen the teachers, um, you know, playing with these, playing these different games that have to do with colors and you know, and sounds and just all the um, all the basics that kids need to go into kindergarten knowing. So, I feel like um, this definitely had an impact on that. Um, and also when we go out and we watch the kids play whenever we're giving a tour, I'd love to go on the playground and, you know, have people watch the children Playing out in the playground and um, keeping them safe and everything. So I definitely see the impact of that every time the kids are running around. But, you know, one parent is, you know, going strong at the strong organization. Uh, it always has more people wanting to come in for their services. So it's a needed service as well. And so um, I think that when you talk to the ladies and see their children thriving, it's just um, kind of a testament as to how um, all the support them, they're getting is so important and that from Bluegrass Community Foundation um, does help one parent a lot. And, um, and therefore it's really making an impact on these, on these young families that their lives could could have taken a completely different trajectory without coming to this program.
0: BGCF 365 is all about creating an environment where aspiring philanthropists can collaborate and do something meaningful. And I love this question. Personally, for you, why is it important to be engaged in something like BGCF 365 or coming to volunteer for the Hope Center or One Parent Scholar House, whatever? Why is that important? Why should people be a part of a group that is bettering their own community?
2: I think it's all about giving back. I mean, those who have um, who've done well and um, are you know secure in, in their own lives and doing well and have you know a solid um, family and relationships. I mean, is what an, a great thing to help those who don't have that. You know, we all think about especially going through COVID recently for the last year and everything. I mean, those of us with homes and you know, and um, happier family life and you know, relationships. I mean, and food and everything. What a blessing we have, you know, that we could just ride that out. But um, what we thought about here at One Parent and the Hope Center, for that matter, is those who who really don't have that. And I think that just ties into um, why to get involved with a group like this Um, because also when you come together with others who are like-minded and really want to help the Lexington and surrounding communities, then you can even make more of an impact. Um, When you're all working together and you can choose nonprofits that are really doing the hard work, the solid work, all nonprofits are awesome, Um, but you know, the life-saving work that that we see happening through a lot of nonprofits um, can literally save these parents, these kids. It can save their lives, and it can also um, better our community because if they are stronger, if they are educated, our workforce is better. If the kids go into um, if they go into school kindergarten ready. Then they're gonna excel and you know do better in school and um, they'll they're more likely to have a good outcome. So every time it's a ripple effect, and every time we help, you know those who might just need a li- you know a little lift up, just what one parent does. So uh, you know as a group like um, you know your 365 group, I mean these are people who are who can coming together and helping those who who cannot, but they have the potential to become professionals so it's just a really um i think it's a
0: great fit i love that you said ripple effect because i feel like that's exactly what bgcf365 is all about creating ripples and then hopefully those ripples will make more ripples and that idea is just so beautiful yeah right. yep. so carrie you've done a great job shout out where people can find out more about everything you just talked about today
2: sure Yes, if, if anyone wants to learn more about One Parent Scholar House, um, they can check out our website at OneParentScholarHouse.org. Um, also, we have a actual event coming up. I know that's crazy Yay. to think about <laughs> um, with everything we've been through with COVID, but we are going to what normally would be a luncheon. This is the one event of the year for one parent. What would normally be just a luncheon, Inside, um, we're taking outside um, and and doing like an after work open air out at Keeneland, Um, just like a cocktail, you know, no touch, really safe. um, um, Really short program where some of our families will actually speak. So um, we're going to have them tell their stories a little bit and that will be part of the program. So and that all that information is on um, the website for
0: one parent as well. Carrie, thank you for speaking with us today and sharing about One Parent Scholar House, and I encourage our listeners to look it up and explore options to volunteer and get involved. In its first year, 2017, BGCF365 awarded five grants, totaling $25,000 to nonprofits focused on creating healthy neighborhoods across Fayette County. Natalie Sisters received a $10,000 grant to continue its work. Janie Lewis, the executive director of Natalie Sisters is here to talk about the impact of that grant on the outreach of such an amazing organization. So hello Janie and welcome.
2: Good
3: morning, Caitlin.
0: Hello. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how 2021 is treating you so far.
3: Well, it's been a crazy year, hasn't it? Um it hasn't affected the ministry too much, but um you know, we're doing a lot less traveling these days like everybody else. The ministry fortunately has uh, has not changed. We've uh, We've had to alter how we do some things, but we haven't had to give anything up. So that's been great.
0: That's so great. So speaking of the mission, can you share with us more about Natalie Sisters and its mission and your values and what you do?
3: Sure. Um, We began 20 years ago as an outreach of Southland Christian, uh, where I was employed at the time. And then in 2016, I quote unquote retired and we became a separate nonprofit, 501c3. Uh, We extend hope, support, and unconditional love to sexually exploited or sexually trafficked women. Uh, And we do that in a three-pronged approach by providing respite, relationship, and referrals to community resources. We found that those are the three things most needed uh, by the women that we serve. But our desire really is to see women realize their true identity, their value, and their potential, and see them restored to their families and their community.
0: I'm just curious, how many women do you serve? on a daily basis or a yearly basis or
3: yeah, it's, it fluctuates, um, every day. I would say Mondays is our busiest day and we sometimes see, uh, as many as this. Now this is speaking specifically about the drop-in center we have downtown. This is kind of a, there's several prongs to our ministry, but, but that drop-in center on Wednesday, uh, Mondays, we can serve up to 50 women. Um, and then on other days, I would say it's closer to 30, but I have some statistics for last year. Um, that might kind of give you an idea of the overall impact of the ministry if that'll be helpful.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um,
3: Last year we did, uh, we had 337 different women that we served. But again, like I said, sometimes they'll come every day. Sometimes they'll come once a month. You never know uh, when you're going to see ladies again. So we actually made 4,277 individual touches last year. When I went back and looked at that in the database, it's just phenomenal to, to think that you can have, uh, that many different opportunities to serve someone in a year. Uh, we served 7,220 meals, uh, and we provided uh, over 1,400 community resource referrals. 21 women entered residential rehab during that time. So it's it was a crazy busy year, even during COVID.
0: Wow. So can you tell me a little bit more about your programming? Do you do meal outreach? Do you have classes, that kind of yeah. thing?
3: You know, we started out in the beginning trying to have classes, but it doesn't work with our population because they're, they're just too transient. Um, we have, we open in the morning and we provide breakfast and lunch and a snack bag. Uh, we have clothing on certain days, uh, very limited clothing uh, certain days and toiletries. Um, But one of the biggest things, like I said, is we do um, community resource referrals. I have a uh, director of client services who's there every day that meets with the ladies to help provide, you know, referrals to whatever they might need. And it's a wide variety, anything from, you know, housing, food, uh, medical attention, mental health resources, uh, and and then again, for substance use disorder. So it's a broad range of, of things that we provide Uh, We just try to meet the needs right there, whatever it is.
0: I guess kind of the core of this interview is about in 2017, when you all received a $10,000 grant for the sexually exploited program. And that was the, what's cool about that is that was the first year of BGCF 365. And so you all were the first grantee, which is really cool. But yeah, I don't
3: think I realized that until today.
0: Yeah. So this grant funding helps support the purchase of healthy meals and snacks for sexually exploited women who visited the drop-in center, um, which is Mm kind of cool to hear you talk about it now, which you all are continuing that ministry and that legacy from however many years, I can't do math, head. five years ago, six, Mm -hmm. four, five, six years ago. This this was
3: the year after we opened downtown. So we've been going for 20 years in one form or fashion, but we've only had the drop-in center since 2016.
0: Okay, wow. So yeah, that was my next question. I just wanted you to describe that experience and how that benefited your organization.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, it was, it's, it was really a blessing because the ladies that we serve often experience chronic illness, uh, malnutrition, dehydration. Uh, they're all uh, deficient in nutritionally. The grant was a real blessing. We were able to provide nutritional drinks, fresh fruit and juice and milk and protein items every day. Uh, we know that as immune systems uh, strengthen by consuming vitamins and minerals, that wounds heal more quickly and diseases are less likely to develop and transfer. And over time, during that grant period, we saw a decrease in ambulance runs, which is a savings for taxpayers, so that helps the community. Uh, we believe this was at least partially attributable to their improved health. And the number one issue for these women is often, like I said, drug and alcohol addiction. But they, they're they not able to make good long-term decisions when they're worried you know, about surviving day-to-day. So meeting basic needs such as food helps them focus on longer-term issues, you know, when they're ready to start thinking about that. And additionally, I mean, just to be blunt, we know that every meal we provided is one less meal a woman had to sell sex to buy. So participating in prostitution as a means of survival for these women was affected by this grant because anything we provided to diminish or eliminate the frequency of prostitution interactions also directly impacts the culture and health of the neighborhood, both now and long-term.
0: Right. Just hearing you talk about that, you know, providing basic needs, it seems like an impact in a small way, but it eventually ripples out into an impact in a big way, you know? So how have you seen Natalie sisters have an impact, you know, in the small areas that eventually lead out into big impact in a large way?
3: Well, most of the women involved in street prostitution that we work with don't have any ongoing relationships with their families. Um, And the relationships that they have with other women obviously are often tenuous and fragile. So we offer an opportunity at the drop-in center for women to join us for community. And we also work at modeling healthy community and relationships. So that's something that's new to them. We're often the also the emergency contact or go person for them as well. Um, we'll get calls from the hospital or from doctor's offices. I got a call yesterday from Eastern state, someone who had checked in and, and where they only go to, you know, they were the person that they contact. We're seeing a community is building. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing families reunited, which is great. We w- recently saw a woman uh, get custody back of her children after many years of working on the street and being involved in substance use disorder. She, is, she has gone through two different programs and is on her own now and doing very well. So uh, we're seeing a lot of that just life change on an individual basis, which then affects you know, the community as a whole.
0: So initiatives like BGCF 365 spark awareness for all the good this organization is doing. And hopefully that's what this interview will do for people when they hear it. So why should people know about Natalie Sisters?
3: You know, I think it's important for folks to know about the work of all the nonprofits in Lexington, uh, you know, and we fall in that category. We have a really strong nonprofit base here in Lexington, uh, better than I've seen in most, uh, lar- in many larger cities. And what I think is good to see about this past year is how well all the nonprofits um, have worked together, uh, doing a lot of really important critical work that affects not only the individuals we serve, but also the community at large. And I think the more folks know about Natalie's sisters and others who serve at-risk folks in Lexington, the more the community can step up to help support, uh, not only financially, but also through donated material goods and their own volunteer time.
0: So we have heard your story and the ripple effects. I keep saying that, but that's just what your organization does. It's a ripple effect. You know, of what happens when people give back to their community and this next and final question, which I really love is why should people give back to their community? Why should people join initiatives like BGCF 365? Why should people come volunteer at Natalie Sisters? There's so many avenues as you've talked about to give back to our community here in Lexington. Why should people give back to their community?
3: Well, obviously, uh, it helps to take care of those who are at risk and less fortunate but but honestly, I think it's much more than that. I think giving back and serving are much more impactful on those who do the giving and serving. Um, it'll change their lives, plain and simple and and when you get out of yourself and begin to think about others, I think you grow and heal in ways that would never happen otherwise. so that would be my answer to that question. <laughs>
0: I totally agree with that. You know, folks can learn more about
3: us. Is it okay if I give you our website information? That was
0: my last question. Great. I'm sorry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Folks can learn more about us on the website, uh, which is nataliesisters.org. But even more so, uh, we update our Facebook regularly and our Instagram pages uh, daily. And they can learn about the history of the ministry, uh, ways to serve, items we collect. Pretty much anything, any question they have would be answered uh, between those two social media entities
0: yeah thank you so much for being on the show i know i've learned a lot about natalie sisters before this interview happened i got on your website and i was like you know i'm gonna go back and research this some more because it's such a great organization doing such great things so i encourage everyone who's listening yeah to check out natalie sisters and all they are doing for our community thanks
3: for helping us get the word out we really appreciate it
0: all right everyone that is it thank you for tuning in We hope you were encouraged by the stories of good happening right here in our community. I definitely know that I am. Make sure you tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. for more good stories and the next installment of the Do Good Radio Hour.